Hey, this is Shay from the POC Podcast, and I want to hear from you. Download the Anchor app and find and follow us, the People of Culture Podcast, and leave us a voicemail on any episode that moves you. And hey, we might play it on the show. Have a question or want to respond to the Reddit ratchetness? Please leave a message after the beep. Welcome to the People of Culture podcast. We, the POC of the POC, are here to unpack everything culture, because culture can literally be anything. So normally, I'm here with my co-host, Shay Cherie, but she is off living her best life. She is on yet another extravagant adventure of traveling. She is currently living it up in Carabana, so if you follow her on her socials, which is Shay Cherie Show everywhere, check it out. You'll see some fantastic photos, some fantastic pictures of her in her caravana outfit it's looking fantastic and amazing and she's out there with her fiance living their best life so i just want to give kudos to her i did want to put something out there so this is going to be a geek centric episode for the people of culture podcast usually we cover all kinds of topics but because it's just me we're going totally geek so i hope you're ready so we're going to be jumping into the catch-up. We are going to get straight into Kirby Geeky Fangirl Corner. And I'm even going to do a little unpack this segment that kind of talks about my favorite things geek. So stay tuned. Hey, it's Shay Cherie. And if you're looking for something funny to see on the internet, check out Shay Cherie show on everything. Instagram, YouTube, Snapchat. Make sure you check out Shay Cherie show. All right, so real quick, then our little catch-up section. Uh, I wanted to touch about what we talked about last week, which was going on vacations and just catching up in general. We had taken a nice little reprieve uh, due to all the traveling that was going on with Shay and how I just wanted a staycation. So we took the week off and we were catching up on different things. She talked about her traveling. She talked about her big news. So listen to that previous episode if you get the chance. And of course, we got into Reddit ratchetness, which is quickly becoming a favorite of mine. The world is an interesting place, let me tell you. It's vast and it is interesting. Uh, I also wanted to give a quick shout out to Adorned by Chi or she. You know what? I don't know how they pronounce that, but it's C-H-I. Recently, they were able to get their Kickstarter off the ground and they got funded for their Magic Girl comics. So if you know anything about manga, particularly, uh, Magic Girl com- or comics or uh, manga is a specific genre that it's pretty self-explanatory. It deals with magical girls. Sailor Moon kind of falls into that category. So if you're interested in that kind of thing, and you're looking for more representation in that type of genre, you at least have one other, and that is a Nigerian-focused magic curl. It looks amazing. I can't wait to get my hands on it. They're in the process of getting it out to the world. So you should definitely check out their site. It's adornedbychi.com. They also sell a bunch of really fun stuff. There's a lot of stuff that is anime-focused, manga-focused, but also like for colored girls, it's, it's out there for people of color, all the shades, all the rainbows, it's wonderful and I love it so much. So definitely check it out if you get the chance. And I'm just gonna roll right into Curvy Geeky Fangirl Corner because it's just me, like I said. So I wanted to touch on the Tim Gunn slash Guardians of the Galaxy debacle that's kind of been continuing on and on and on out there. So in case you didn't know, or you 
just cluing in or you don't even keep tabs on any of this. There was a situation where Disney recently fired. Oh, was it James Gunn? I'm calling him Tim Gunn. Now I got to go look it up because I am unprepared. But uh, there was a controversy with some t- tweets. that ha- Yeah, it's James Gunn. It's not even Tim. There we go. Uh, there were some t- tweets that James Gunn had put out a while back, a few years back, uh, and what he had deemed at the time as jokes, but they were definitely serious jokes about pedophilia and rape, and they just weren't cool, and they were layered. And the more you read into the story, the uglier it gets, unfortunately, especially for James Gunn. And then you've got a situation where he's definitely very apologetic, like genuinely apologetic about what he did. But it's also a situation where in today's climate, being apologetic just isn't enough sometimes. And in James Gunn's position or particular situation, it wasn't enough. So so the thing is, those tweets came back to light. There was definitely a right, hard right, conservative right group that brought these to the forefront. Uh, using social media and Disney had to make a decision. They had to take an action and they did. So a lot of fans are upset with it. I've listened to a lot of other geek podcasts that that feel some kind of way and it's kind of spread across the board. You've got those who understand Disney had to make a business decision. Disney was put in a position where they they had to go or stay and they decided to go in order to maintain the rest of what they're doing. We all know that Disney is a brand built on being relatable and shareable content with young kids. We know that, we know that. So they can't necessarily have somebody attached to it who is making the types of jokes that James Gunn was making. Now it's the internet and the internet is forever. So if you really wanted to see the types of jokes he was talking about, you just gotta do a couple Google searches. You will find them. It's not, it's not good. It's not good. It's, it, I mean, you shouldn't make, especially in this type of climate that we've got right now, you shouldn't be making any kind of jokes like that right now, like at all. But the types of jokes he was making, they were ugly. They were ugly. So, I mean, I'm glad that he's come forward and apologized about it, but it's kind of like too little too late at this point. My The thing that I'm confused on, so my strongest feelings about the whole situation that I'm confused about is a lot of the geek community being like, this is wrong, this is hypocritical, we need to get him reinstated, petitions are going out, all kinds of stuff is trying to get pushed forward to try and get Gunn his job back. If they get his job back or not, I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't care. I don't have uh, anything in the race for this. But I'm a little confused as to why they're surprised it got as far as it did. On the one hand, I agree. I don't think Disney was blindsided by this. I don't think they didn't know going in that he had this in his history, but I, I, I feel like they played it like most businesses would, which is we'll cross that bridge if we get to it. The way Twitter is right now, the way Twitter is weaponized right now, I mean, it's been used to knock a lot of people off of their pedestals, a lot on the right side, of the political spectrum to the left side of the political spectrum. This has been a tool for for this exact situation where they've used previous statements that people have posted on this particular service to harm them. That's been done and it's shown that it's successful for both sides, for both sides. So I'm a little confused as to why 
some of the community is like, they're taking it too far this time. Like it, it kind of feels like now that we, because it's one of ours, now it feels like we, it, they shouldn't they shouldn't have to face the same consequences. I know a lot of people say like the wild wild west of of the social media is kind of behind us, but I don't think it is. I think it is wilder than ever right now, and it shows with all the stuff that's going down. Even the person that was behind all of this to get gun to lose his job in the first place that person isn't clean either this person is terrible and has his own i want to say rapist commentary or pedophilic commentary probably both that's behind him as well but he's also not somebody who's associated with disney so i mean uh we've got we've got the cast of guardians like really going hard for him, which is nice. They put out that statement where they all signed. I would say more than anybody, Dave Bautista definitely has been going hard for him and just how unfair it is of the way things shook out and the way he found out, like the way James Gunn found out that he was no longer gonna be associated with the Guardians of Galaxy project and was being separated from Disney entirely was like at Comic-Con, like minutes before he was supposed to hit the stage for something, so for a separate project entirely. I mean, I mean, this is something that, I don't think it's going to ruin his career the way Harvey Weinstein's career is ruined. I don't think he's like never ever gonna work again, but he's definitely not gonna be working for Disney anytime soon. So, you know, yeah. So, I mean, my whole feelings on it are, he shouldn't have put the jokes up there in the first place. He knows he shouldn't have put the jokes up there in the first place, this is how it shook out. As crappy as it is, as terrible as it is, I don't feel it was surprising. A lot of people knew this was on the radar. Disney just finally decided to make a statement about it. They got put, they, understandably, they were pushed into a corner to say something about it. Was it hypocritical? Absolutely. They knew going forward what he, what he had put out there and what this did, but at the time, it didn't matter to them. And now it does, because it was being talked about and and shared so, so much. The way it's worked for almost everybody else that people have gone after using Twitter. So, so I mean, I don't think this is the end of Guardians of the Galaxy. A lot of people are like, well, how are we gonna keep the same tonality of the movies? How are we gonna do this or that? We still have a lot of talent that could definitely step up to the plate. My, the first thing that comes to my mind is Taika. Granted, Taika Waititi is super busy. He is a very talented director. He's shown that between his own projects and the stuff he did with Disney, with the Thor movie, with its total reboot. Like he's killing it right now. And he's, he's wanted everywhere right now. But if anybody was gonna be able to keep that same tonality and that same humor and action and dramatics, I feel like it'd be safest in Taika's hands. And I don't feel, I feel it'd be in Disney's best interest to try to keep that so that they could keep the, I don't wanna say keep the community happy, but it'd be something for, for people to hold on to. Like, yes, we did lose James Gunn, but it's not completely in the hands of somebody that we don't know, you know? if they're keeping that in perspective whatsoever. So so that's going on with, so, that's, so that is what's going on with the latest 
James Gunn situation. Um, I also wanted to talk, touch a little bit on toxic fandom. Uh, if you're in the geek community, if you're in the fandom community, nerd community, what have you, whatever title you like to use, we all know that it starts off in a good place and could very quickly escalate to a place of evil, like really fast, really hard could it get there. And that's mostly because a lot of this is online. Let, let's be honest, we have platforms now where we can be as loud and as opinionated as we want to be under the guise of anonymity and not have to suffer too much of the consequences and take it until we take it like crazy far. That being said, uh, the reason I brought this back to the forefront was because of stuff that's been going on with Star Wars The Last Jedi. So I've talked about it before. The latest film, the latest Star Wars movie that hit kind of rubbed a lot of people the wrong way. We already had a core group of people who felt like we didn't need minorities and females running leads in the movie in the first place because racism and sexism is still running strong. But we also had people who felt completely alienated by the last film, who felt like it got taken over by somebody who didn't understand the lore, who didn't understand the audience, and they just felt like it took away everything they loved about the series, which is bullshit, but I mean, that is my opinion. There, This is a group that's so used to seeing it through like this specific male-dominated lens, and now that it's widened, and Grant, I, I will give it to you. Star Wars Last Jedi is not perfect. It is by no means perfect. But it l gave you this like opportunity to expand the lore of this story even more, to go beyond the, the trio we normally follow in this series, which is the Skywalker clan or the Solo clan or a combination of the two. Like those, that's usually it. Organa. Maybe, maybe some organic clan, but that's kind of connected to the Skywalker clan. So all of that. Um, but a lot of people didn't like it and they weren't having it and, and they just felt some kind of way. And I, that's something that we deal with a lot when you talk about fandoms, people's feelings. We're dealing with a lot of feelings. There's the reason these are fandoms is because people have so, so much passion for this, you know, whatever the content is that they're looking at, whether that is sci-fi stuff like Star Wars or more fantasy stuff, TV series, movies, comic books, you name it. There's passion that runs behind that. And that's part of why I love the community so much. But with that passion can come a lot of negativity, which leads us to toxic fandom. And it gets scary. So She-Ra was also a component or uh, part of the toxic fandom run where we had a lot of grown ass men upset that the I guess what they felt was the this idol idol of femininity was being changed somehow, even though that was like never the case. And like again we had a situation where the creator had to step out and be like, this was never the point we wanted to make about the show. Please relax, let it go. We've seen it happen a lot, a lot, a lot. But that that tends to happen with fandom. You get a faction of people who feel they understand more about this particular content than even the creators. And they get other people who agree with them and who understand this feeling. And then it just escalates and escalates and becomes crazy. And it happens a lot. It happens a lot. I've seen it with Steven Universe. Steven Universe is a show that's broken a lot of barriers when it comes to representation, especially in an animated form for kids. It's one of the few 
animated series, especially on Cartoon Network, that actually touches on being a part of the LGBTQIA community in a positive way. They never explicitly state what uh, what community that they'd be talking about or that they're connected to, but it's very evident. It's super evident. And it's not a problem, so at least for most people. But you get into situations where people love it so much and they hold it so dearly that they feel anybody who doesn't share that same exact perspective is now an intruder or a fake and they go after them. And then we start talking about real world consequences when they start taking things way too fucking far. So it can get crazy, it can definitely get crazy. And I'm only bringing this up because there was a, recently there was a plight on social media to correct The Last Star Wars because sure. So there's a lot of people who feel like the last, like I said, The Last Jedi just didn't live up to their standards. And they were trying to like, I don't think they were almost successful in getting like a Kickstarter Patreon type, type situation of money funded to create their own movie about Star Wars The Last Jedi. And it just, eh, it just, just went all over the place. So much so there is a fan film that has come out uh, that kind of talks about this backlash that Star Wars has been getting very recently. So um, via io9, what is the name of it? You're not gonna tell me. So apparently it parodies Ryan Johnson's brick. Ryan Johnson is the director who did the last Star Wars film. One of the first movies he made was a um, movie called Brick. And if you haven't seen Brick with Joseph Gordon-Levitt, it's amazing. You should definitely check it out. It very amazingly touches on the angst of being a teenager. And it's not like your everyday teen living in the suburbs. We're dealing with kids who are dealing with real issues and having to navigate their adolescence at the same time. So there is a, what is it called? Oh no, it's just gonna, I just keep talking about how it looks like brick. Maybe I should get the name of it. Here it is. So the name of it is called Star Wars, Revenge of the Incels. And by, via io9, they describe it as a clever short film that works as a parody and a statement and a love letter. It's uh, based around Brick, like the actual storyline for Brick, but it touches on how Kelly Marie Tran had to exit Instagram because of toxic fandom. Uh, people were coming after her and in Instagram and basically just being as racist and misogynistic as you wanna be and telling her to like kill herself because she portrayed a character the way it was written for a film. It was ridiculous, which is ridiculous. It led to her leaving Instagram. So they touch on that. They touch on, they just touch on a lot of sides of the feelings that have spanned across being a Star Wars fan right now. And apparently they did a really, really good job. So if you get the chance to check it out, you should definitely check it out. I wanna say it's on YouTube. So if you do a search for Star Wars, Revenge of the Incels, it'll come right up. And it kind of, it touches on toxic fandom and what that is and why it's happening. So there's that. We also have in lighter news, Patrick Stewart is Sir Patrick Stewart, excuse me. Sir Patrick Stewart is coming back to Star Trek. So Star Trek is different than Star Wars. There's a lot of people who feel like if you're into Star Wars then you can't be into Star Trek or vice versa. All bullshit, you can love both, I love both. Star Trek The Next Generation was my sci-fi show. That was what I first started watching that got me into geekdom in the first place. It was always on my TV, always. 
always Wesley Crusher forever. So my parents loved Star Trek The Next Generation. They loved it. You had so much diversity in this cast. It was one of the few shows where I saw people that looked like me doing things in the future, doing things in space and not as like a janitorial type situation, like who could be leaders in their own right. It's amazing. And it's a wonderful series. And Patrick Stewart played Captain Jean-Luc Picard. He was a captain that helmed that. And he is my captain. He's my captain for Star Trek. For other people, it is Kirk. For me, it is Picard. So he is coming back. Apparently, there's going to be like a new a new series devoted to just his character. I don't know how heavily involved he's going to be in this series, but who cares? He's coming back to the show. Who cares about anything else? It's going to be on CBS All Access, which they are trying hard to get you to buy this streaming platform. I still have not. I still haven't seen the latest Star Trek, which has gotten, I'll say, review. Some people hardcore love it. They tell me it's fantastic. Like there's some episodes here and there that might miss the beat, but overall it's fantastic. And then I have other friends who are like, eh, it's okay. Like it's all right. I don't know that it's $8.99 a month all right, but it's okay. But so apparently CBS All Access is going hard on the Star Trek side. They're thinking of doing a whole show based around Picard. I'm here for it. I might give them my, my pennies to see this. I can't wait. I can't wait to see what they're going to do. So hopefully we get some more information. It's always nice to hear that your captain is coming back. I'll take it. I'll take it in spades. What else is going on? There was, oh, so the new Venom trailer also came out. Yeah. So, yeah, okay. So Sunny is doing a Venom series. And it's, like I said, it is a series. They're not doing one movie. This is supposed to be a franchise. So keep that in mind. It's also run by Sunny. It is not run by Marvel. Apparently there's going to be some Marvel collaboration. In my opinion, not enough. If you've seen any of the trailers for it so far, but who cares? This Venom is, like I said, Sony property. It is going to exist in a realm where Spider-Man doesn't exist, which is confusing me because it's a story about Venom. And Venom only exists because of Spider-Man. That's how it got its shape. I have a thousand questions. So uh, somehow, apparently, they're going to explain how all of that happened, how all of that exists. Tom Hardy is taking the lead as Eddie Brock, and he is going to be Venom. So in case you don't know or you're not familiar with Venom whatsoever, Venom is a villain. Venom is a Spider-Man villain. It's an alien symbiote. Notice how I say that word that has come from space uh, in the animated series is what I'm familiar with because I haven't read the comics. But in the animated series, the way it's made its way into Earth, follow me here, is with an astronaut who gets sent down into space. I don't remember what the mission was, but something went down, something happened. And then when he crash landed back on Earth, he brought the symbiote with him. So the symbiote's like trying to find a host because it can't live on its own. It's it's symbiotic. So and that means it's got to live with somebody to exist and survive. So and it's trying to find it. And in the cartoon series, it found Spider-Man first. It found Peter Parker first. And that's where it got its shape. So it came and joined Peter as a host and made Peter mad strong. He was like, yo, I appreciate this. It made his whole outfit black. So his whole outfit turned black, but it kept the spider. Usually Venom has a white spider across its chest because it was an amalgam, a Spider-Man. 
which made sense at the time. So, but Peter quickly realizes like this symbiote that he's hosting has a dark side. Like it's way more violent than he normally is. And it's got like a hunger and it likes killing things. And he's like, mm, no. And then there's a whole thing about him separating from it. So the symbiote's got to find another host. It finds Eddie Brock. Eddie Brock, at least in the animated series and maybe in the comics, is somebody that has a lot of feelings. He's dealing with a lot of anger. And the symbiote's like, perfect. Like, this is exactly what we need. <laughs> we need somebody who's gonna go hard for us. And this kid's gonna do it. So they find Eddie and he's in a state where he just feels like he can't do anything. Like, everything he's tried, he's been failing at miserably. And then all of a sudden, this alien symbiote comes into his life and makes him powerful and makes him feel like he can achieve anything and nobody can get in his way. And he was already a jerk to begin with. So now he's like extra jerk with the symbiote. Venom in the comic series and even in the animated series goes through its ups and downs, starts out as a hardcore villain and slowly makes its way into like an anti-hero, but that's after it's done a lot of murder. So, and I think even facing Carnage, like I think after it faces Carnage, which is another Spider-Man villain, it's like, whoa, okay. Cause Carnage is even harder than Venom, if you can believe it. Murder all day. So he, it, and at least in the cartoon series, it was like, that's a lot. We don't want to, we don't need to do all of that. So maybe we should peel it back a little bit. So, but in the movie, who knows what they're doing? So the trailer, the first trailer we got for Venom did not impress me. We got like a little teaser trailer. A lot of people were excited. Big names are associated with this film. It's not like actors or actresses we've never heard of. We got Tom Hardy, we got Michelle Williams, you got Woody Harrelson, you got Riz Ahmed, we got Jenny Slate. Like we got names that are known for being some of the best in their business attached to this terrible film. This, so my feelings on the trailer is that it looks Spawn-esque. And then I found out why that is, and that's because the person who's helping, who helped design a lot of the, uh, animated elements of this world also did it for spawn so there you go it looks terrible it the cgi it takes me out every time and i know a lot of people a lot of people are willing to look past it they love this character they love venom and his storyline and how he relates to spider-man even though spider-man is not in this universe they're still here for it. And they're very excited that Tom Hardy is going to be the one playing Eddie Brock for this particular Venom. Cool. Because Venom's actually been attached to a bunch of different people in the Spider-Man universe. I mean, I hope this film is everything that these fans want it to be. I am. I hope it is. Am I going to watch it? Probably not. Uh, not in the theater anyway. I'm not going to pay theater money to see terrible CGI on an opening weekend. No, thank you. No, thank you. I will wait. So I'll probably wait to see the reviews and everything, but that trailer didn't make me want to watch it. I will say it was a better trailer than the first teaser one they gave out, so that was cool. But between the, the teaser they gave and this trailer, I feel like we now have the movie. Like, we know, we know what's going on. We know that Riz Ahmed's character has tried to weaponize this, and they call it, they don't even call it a symbiote. They call it something crazy. I can't even remember the pronunciation, but we know he's weaponized it and we know that he's got like this evil scientist cap on to do whatever with this thing. We know that that's happening. 
I think we've got hints of a Lady Venom happening. I don't know if it's Michelle Williams' character or somebody else, but there's hints of that happening. And we also see how Venom is reacting to Tom Hardy. I'm really confused because they're going hard on the dark elements. They're showing Venom being like all consuming. And there's a whole scene in the trailer where Venom is talking to some poor minority casted man. And I don't know what the context is. I don't know if he was trying to rob the store or what, but they lead, they imply that Venom just eats him whole in front of a person and then turns back into regular Eddie Brock, AKA Tom Hardy. And he's just like, yeah, all right. And like, okay, okay. I can't take it seriously because I can't follow the CGI. I cannot, I cannot. Also, it's being run by Sony and yes, Sony was attached to the Spider-Man movie we got, but that was heavy duty Marvel involved. Marvel was at the helm of that. It made big news that Marvel was basically running the show and Sony was just kind of helping to pay. Like we knew that and then we were fine with it because it gave us what we wanted in Spider-Man Homecoming. Why they're not doing the same thing for Venom, I don't know, but who cares? So I hope it works out for the fans. I'm not gonna pay money to see this in a theater. Apparently it's coming out in October. The best of luck. I hope they figure it out by its release because it looks a hot mess right now. It looks terrible. And all right, that's gonna, <laughs> that is going to close it up for the Curvy Geeky Fangirl Corner. I'm going to run into the Unpack This segments, which is basically gonna be like my top tens of everything I love about being a geek, pretty much. So if you wanna stay tuned for that, please do. It's gonna be right after this. Hey there, lovelies. This is Joe, AKA the Curvy Geeky Fangirl. And if you want more Curvy Geeky Fangirl, you can find me all over the place, like Instagram, Twitter, my own podcast, fanbros.com, and of course, my website, curvygeekyfangirl.com. All right, so we're going to get into our little unpack this. Well, we, I mean me. And basically, it's going to be a top 10 list of my favorite shows and films of all time when it comes to being a part of the geek community. Uh, but before I jump into my top 10 list, I just wanted to touch on geeking out while you're a person of color, specifically if you're a black woman being a geek. Uh, it's very, it's actually very recent that it's been super cool to be a geek. It's very recent. If anybody was alive prior to this like mainstream explosion of geekdom, we all remember the struggles of, of being a geek and not wanting anybody else to know because it wasn't cool. It just was not cool. And now it's just super accepted, which is amazing and wonderful. With this acceptance have co has come a lot of changes and a lot of content when it comes to geekness and nerdness in TV and film and the like. Like we're seeing a lot more representation and diversity, whether that's including more people of color, there's always room to include more people of color, but also just people who don't fall into any typical mainstream box of what they deem should be seen on TV. So we're starting to see it change up. There's a lot more LGBTQIA inclusion. There's a lot of people of color inclusion. Like it's, it's starting to widen a lot more which is amazing. We look at shows like The Expanse. I never thought I was gonna see a Polynesian person in a sci-fi show outside of uh, Andromeda or Stargate, because Jason Momoa was in Stargate, but he was not a Polynesian character. This is a literal Polynesian character in The Expanse, which is Robbie, and it's amazing, it's amazing. So 
I'm very thankful of that. Um, while being a geek of color, it's very interested. Um, it's very interesting to come across other content providers that kind of that are geared towards people of color who are also geeks, uh, especially online. I came across like the podcast I listen to is only like just within the last few years or so that I've even known these podcasts exist. Up until then, I had been listening listening to like Marvel or um, sci-fi type podcasts that do like re the TV show recapping, but it was never, I don't say it never included a voice of color, but it was very limiting if it did. And it was never from the perspective of a person of color. And then I got to listen to fan bros and I got to listen to the, tr the troubles and I got to listen to a bunch of other ones. And there's just like so many more now that are out there, including myself talking about it, talking about geek stuff from a perspective of a person of color. So that's amazing. Uh, now we're starting to see conventions also geared that way. You heard, if you listen to Curvy Geeky Fangirl, I think I touched on it with people of culture at some point. Uh, conventions for me are always kind of touch and go. I'm a heavy introvert. I'm a big time introvert. So big crowds, socializing, <laughs> peopling. It's not, that's, that's not my area of comfort. Um, so I've always kind of steered clear the convention route. I've been to conventions, but they were when I was much younger. So as I've repeatedly told you guys here on this podcast, I come from San Diego, California, home of the San Diego Comic-Con. When I went to San Diego Comic-Con, it was not what it is now. We weren't having huge networks coming down, lines around, you know, just for days to get into the halls. That didn't happen. It was literally rows of tables with books, art, maybe some figurines. And like, that was it. And like, that was it. Like, you just kind of walked around, talked to other people with the same interests, maybe picked up some stuff. That was it. And now it's like huge. It's this huge thing. So I was going to go to another con that shall not be named that was supposed to happen this year. It didn't. It did not happen. There was a lot of drama. It was ridiculous. But I found out very, very recently, I wanted to shout out Blurred Con. Blurred Con's out here in the DMV area. I think they were in Chantilly, I want to say. They were somewhere in Virginia. They re very recently, like last weekend, had their conference. And I would say it was like their second or third one. And apparently it was amazing from all the reviews I'm seeing and everything. Everybody had a really great time. So that's going to be one I'm going to look into. It's really nice to see communities that are creating events for people of color to also come out and talk with. Because if you go to a lot of conventions, I mean, it's very fun, but it's not always super inclusive. So it's nice. It's nice when you have something that is like, we are, we're inclusive. Come on down, come check us out. So super cool. Uh, the social media community. Like I said, this kind of dabbles into toxic fandom. Some of the community in social media can get super dark, but a lot of it is actually really, really wonderful. So I follow a lot of geeks on Twitter and Instagram, uh, a lot of artists and the, and the like. And it's just amazing the, how the community is so supportive of each other online. Like if you're looking for it and you, you find some of the good guns, the good ones, it's amazing. And it's, like I said, it's, it gets to be super tight knit, but not to the point where they're blocking people. And they're just so supportive of each other. You'll hear about events or projects that are going coming up and going out 
And it's, it's wonderful. It's a wonderful exchange of ideas and talking to fellow geeks who kind of understand your perspective. It's really nice. So being in social media is very interesting. Um, and like I said, it's led to all of this has culminated into us having a bigger voice when it comes to the geek community. Because for a lot of people, they still think it's, it's, it's still very heavily dominated in whiteness. And it's, it's making its way into becoming a lot more diverse than it's ever been, ever. So it's amazing. It's amazing to see all of this change happen. So that being said, I wanted to get into my top 10 list of all-time faves when it comes to this lovely community. And I'm talking about TV shows and films, more TV shows than films, uh, as I wrote out my list because I think there's only one movie in this whole thing. So there's that. That's happening. And a game because I like to spice it up. Am I a gamer? Uh, Casual, casual gamer, I would say. Very super casual. Most of the games I play are still on Super Nintendo. I literally have a Super Nintendo. Um, what do you call it? It's not. I don't have an SNES. I have the other version of it now. That kind of like, basically, what it does is it works for the TV sets we have now. Because if you have the original S Super Nintendo or Nintendo. You need an AVOX cable. It's terrible. And you got to try and hook it up. And most of the TVs aren't even built for that coaxial cable anymore. So I forget what it's called. But I have <laughs> I have like a duplicator. So like what it does is it'll take the game and kind of work it to actually fit on my TV screen. So I have most of the games I have, like I said, are like Donkey Kong, Aladdin. I love Aladdin the game. I love it. So I usually play old school retro games. Um, I don't play a lot on PlayStation. The last game I played on PlayStation was Borderlands. Yeah, was Borderlands. And I'm waiting on the next sequel to that because it actually allows you to do a two-player couch session, like a couch co-op. Most of the rest of these games, you've got to have a whole other PlayStation so you can play online. I'm not doing that. So, But I do have one game, and even though I'm making all this talk about literal systems, the game I'm talking about isn't even on any of them. So there's that. So here we go. Let's get into the list. So in no particular order, uh, I have Firefly slash Serenity as the first one, even though I just said no particular order. Firefly and Serenity. So if you know anything about that, you know that it is rooted in the brown coat community. So the brown coats is a title that's come from the TV series and later the movie. This is a Josh Whedon series. Josh Whedon created Buffy. He created Angel. Buffy and Angel are not on this list, believe it or not. I will explain why in just a second. But Firefly and Serenity is a is something I can rewatch over and over and over again. Uh, Firefly is the TV series, and it only lasted one season. It was on Fox. Fox is notorious for killing any kind of sci-fi TV show that it gets. It's known for it. It's known for it. Uh, Joss got into his head to do like a space cowboy-esque type show. And we got the crew. We had the crew that come out. You had the, you had the like war weary captain uh, who also was into a slight smuggling business. You know, they weren't always on the up and up, but they always became heroes when they needed to. It was very much like a misfits crew that kind of got put, put together. It's a really good show. You see the adventures they go on. I love that nobody on this crew is like 100% good. Everybody's kind of dealing with different things. There's one character in particular that is my favorite on this show, and he's 
very basically a villain and that's jane so there's a character named jane who is this huge guy he's this tall muscled the heck out guy who loves guns and is terrible at decisions he never makes he i don't think he has morals or ethics but he is still like kind of committed to his family it's which is like the firefly crew in a loose way he's constantly betraying them but he's always there to help fight with them too so it's it's an interesting dynamic. He's a hot mess, but I love it. I love all of it. You got Gina Torres in there. It's amazing. And she is an Amazon. I'm convinced. Why she's not attached to MCU or DCEU project right now, I don't know. She should be Nubia for Wonder Woman, but we'll get to that at some point later. So all of that. So Firefly and Serenity is something I can watch again and again. We had this TV series first. Serenity was the movie that kind of it was for the fans. It was a movie that kind of closed up a lot of loose ends that happened with the TV series. The TV series left us on a hell of a cliffhanger when it ended because it, it didn't even get its full run of episodes for the season before it got cut off. So miraculously, they were able to pull money together and got, a lot of it was due to the fans, and got a major motion picture deal out of it. And it did well. It did really well. And and it answered a lot of stuff too. So that's definitely a favorite. Something that I constantly go back to all the time. After that, I've got Misfits. Misfits is a BBC show. So our Channel 4 show, what they call over there. There's a lot of Channel 4, Channel 4 shows that come out of the UK that are sci-fi based or fantasy based. Misfits was one of those shows. Misfits was about a group of teenagers well, I don't even think they were teenagers. I think they're just young adults because they're in like in their they're late teens, maybe early twenties, uh, and they're all juvenile delinquents. So they're all they're all in like this. They call it an ASBO program over there. So they they've all done some sort of crime, and then they got convicted and were found guilty, and now they've got to do their probationary work. And it's about these kids who are just so self centered, and again, terrible decision making very loose on the morals and the ethics, but also trying to figure things out and then they get superpowers and they react to the superpowers in such a realistic way. I was so used to singing like, you know, this hodgepodge group of teens get powers and then all of a sudden they're just like hardcore good. They don't question anything. They're constantly fighting for good and they're facing evil and it's like end of story. But in Misfits, they're hot ass messes. The lot of them, they're, they, they're selfish initially, and they use their powers for themselves, and then they quickly realize how that's not very, A, sustainable, but also it wasn't making them feel any better about everything else that was going on. And then some terrible stuff starts to happen, and they have to work together to help stop the terrible stuff that's going on, and they slowly but surely start to work together as a group. It's, the show is amazing. The series ran for a while. All of it's on Amazon now. You can like purchase it if you want to see it. There were rumors that they were gonna to try to recreate it for ABC Family. What I really loved about the show was the diversity on that show. Like, it ran the gamut. You didn't just have a bunch of white kids and the one token black person in the group. It, it, it ran the gambit. So it was like, this, this, it was amazing. It was an amazing show. It ran for a while. Hilarious. If you get the chance to watch it, you should definitely check it out. I've got Steven Universe also that's third on my list. Um, but like I said, they're not necessarily in this particular valued order. Steven Universe, like I touched on before, it just blew the door open 
for a lot of inclusiveness that we don't normally see on television. But what got me was just how well they were, they were, the, their stories were, how well written the stories are for this animated series for children. And you've got grown adults camping for this show. They love this show, myself included, who love this show. We know all the songs, we know all the character names, we are cursing Cartoon Network out on a regular basis because they only drop like Steven Bombs, which will be like five new episodes in like a few week span and then nothing for months. Nothing for months. Rebecca Sugar is attached to that show and it's just, it's just so good. The lore of the show is amazing. The topics they cover is great. It's, this, is a, this is one of the few animated series that, have made, that has made me cry on multiple episodes. It's so good. So good, you should definitely check it out. It's still running right now, it's on Cartoon Network. And I think you can watch a lot of it on demand too, if you're still rocking cable. If not, if you got you a Hulu, if you got Amazon, if you got any kind of streaming platform, you can watch it as well. So definitely check it out. Uh, also have a couple of CW shows. The Flash, so DC Comics and me have a history of not getting along. I don't, I didn't really like DC Comics in the way that I liked Marvel Comics. DC Comics for me very much felt more, I don't wanna say Boy Scout, but cut and dry. It felt like they created almost like perfect characters, like godlike characters, and then the mere mortals that they were trying to help underneath them. And I know that that's not the case for a lot of their characters. But when I first started getting into the comic world, I wasn't a, I wasn't a fan of what I was reading under them. I was like, this is really boring. This is, not, I guess I don't care. Marvel's a little messier when it comes to their characters. And I don't, I don't know if that's true on a whole for the two, but that's how it felt when I was being introduced to the world. Their characters were more imperfect. They, they played that line of humanity of, of following ethics and not following, and I don't know if you've caught the trend yet, but I really like the characters that have a difficult time in trying to stay the course, because I feel like that's so true to life. No, I, It's very rarely I come across somebody who 100% knows without a doubt what type of person they are. Everybody's constantly questioning and still figuring it out. All of us, all of us are. That doesn't stop as soon as you get out of adolescence, unfortunately. So that being said, CW's The Flash was the first show I watched that told that line, that was showing me characters who for all intents and purposes were trying their best to be good, but sucked at it. Like they, <laughs> they were still messing up here and there. They were still doing stuff that was selfish as heck. Uh, you see that a lot with Barry. You see it sometimes with Iris. Uh, you, see, you see it with the whole cast and crew of The Flash. And I just fell in love with this show. Has it been a perfect show? No, the latest season was all over the place. All over the place. But I enjoy it. And like I said, I have fallen in love with these characters. So I, I definitely recommend getting into CW as The Flash. Also, it just, it just gave me a different vibe than the show they had out, which was the Green Arrow show, which basically was like Batman, but for whatever reason, we're calling it Green Arrow. I could care less. I, I, I try to get into that show and I would just fall out of it all the time because it just took itself so seriously. But with The Flash, it kind of gave itself room to laugh at itself and make fun of itself. And 
It's wonderful. And it led me to watching the rest of the CW TV shows. And that includes the next show on my list, which is Black Lightning. Black Lightning is the first led, like, like black led show for DC TV. For, oh, is it for any comic series? I'm trying to think now. I think it is. No, Luke Cage came out on Netflix, but this is like national syndication TV. It's the first of its kind. And it didn't disappoint for me. I loved it. I loved every minute of, the, of Black Lightning. And again, we're dealing with characters that are trying their best to be good. You've got characters who know what's right, but also have to act selfishly in some cases or are clearly acting selfishly in some cases. And I love that. I love the messiness of that and how it develops them as characters. And we get that a lot with Black Lightning. So I'm very excited to see the second season. They got greenlit for a second season. I can't wait for it to come back. On the subject of messy characters, there's also sci-fi's happy. So sci-fi, I have a love-hate relationship with because sometimes they give me fantasticness, killjoys, the expanse, happy, and then sometimes they give me terribleness, like when they decided to cancel the expanse. Oh, oh, sci-fi. I mean, I mean, I've heard people explain the reasoning behind it, the budgeting factor, the money factor, how like they were basically were reliant on whenever their distributor was going to allow them to put out the show. Because it's not a show that's made in America. It's a show that's filmed in Canada. But um, I also don't care. So, I mean, that's harsh, but I don't. So there's that. <laughs> so there's that. But that being said, they had a sci-fi show called Happy. Happy is dealing with my favorite type of person, a person who's a hot mess and trying their best to be good. Like that's, so the, the situation around Happy is you've got an ex-cop. We had a guy who was a, who was a cop who came into that profession with the, I don't know if it was the best of intentions, but he had some good intentions when he got into there. And then he kind of became a corruptible cop and then he got kicked off the force. And in the process of all that, he lost his wife, like he, his marriage got broken up and he becomes like this terrible drunk, this like drug addled drunk who is just waiting to die. And then he finds out through a crazy circumstance, he's got a daughter and it kind of like renews him in a way. So now he's like on a mission to go help his daughter. His daughter gets kidnapped. There is a crazy backstory that I don't want to ruin in regards to this that involves his daughter that he just found out about. Uh, and in the process of all this, how he finds out he even has a daughter in the first place is that he sees a flying blue unicorn who's telling him all this information. No one else can see this unicorn. He's the only one that can see it. And it's a unicorn called Happy. And this unicorn tells him he's the imaginary best friend of his daughter's. And of course he thinks he's going crazy. And of course he's like, just, I've taken too many drugs. I've got to stop. But he eventually realizes if it is a hallucination, it's not going away anytime soon. And he gets on the path to try and find his daughter. The way the story gets unfolded, it's based on a graphic novel, is amazing. It's amazing. The visual, the CGI work, all of it is great. The series length for it is also pretty short. It's not a crazy 22 episode show. It's really short, it's really succinct, it's amazing. The actors are great, the story was great. We even got like a complete story. You get a complete story in the, in this show. It's on demand, uh, is it on? No, I take that back. I don't know if it's still on demand. 
But it's definitely on Amazon. So if you're if you have Amazon or if it's, if Sci-Fi is attached to Hulu, you probably could watch it that way too. I highly recommend watching this series. It's really, really good. So Happy's in there. And that's a show I can watch again and again. I've also got Doctor Who. Doctor Who is really what kicked off a lot of what I love about being a geek right now. Doctor Who is the reason I got into fandom fashions in the first place. So I do fandom fashions for fan bros. You guys have heard me say that before. I do them on my website. I should say did them. I haven't posted anything new in a little bit, but my stuff is still on there. You can see all the outfits I've made. It's because of Doctor Who. So Doctor Who is a, again a UK series. It's a long running UK series. It heralds itself as like 50 years in the making of a series. And it deals with a time traveling alien that calls itself the doctor. This doctor takes on like a humanoid shape and basically it's always looking for a companion for somebody to travel with for all of these insane adventures. The, the stories around Doctor Who is amazing. My brief history with Doctor Who is that I didn't really know what the show was until I was an adult. So I want to say back in like 2012, 13, 12, was still a doctor at the time. Whenever Tenet's run was, I decided to jump in. It was on Netflix at the time and they had Eccleson's run. I decided to go and check it out. He's number nine. And I fell in love. I fell in love with the whole thing. And then I started to learn more about the world. I got into Tennant's run, who's the 10th Doctor. I got into Matt Smith's run, who is the 11th Doctor. Capaldi is 12. And now we've got the latest Doctor coming in, who's going to be 13. It's going to be amazing. I love the whole show. It's real simple, real easy to watch. You don't have to have a huge amount of lore. And it's not one of those shows where you have to follow all of the previous seasons to understand what's happening in the current season. Like, you don't need to do that at all. But it's an easy world to fall into. It's wonderful. I love it so much. So Doctor Who, um, like I said, I didn't know what it was until I was an adult, but there was an American crossover for Doctor Who. So when I was a kid, there was a terrible, <laughs> terrible TV movie that came out when they were trying to bring Doctor Who to America. And I remember begging my parents to take this thing because I was just so enamored with the doctor they had cast for it. And technically he's doctor number eight. Uh, let me see if I can find his name. But I just remember seeing this beautiful man in the back of this woman's car and him telling her he has two hearts. And I was like, what is, and then watching the whole show, like they try to make it for Amer American audiences. So they made his companion a woman. They gave it a love story. And at the time, this was like the first time ever that there was a romantic element like that to Doctor Who. A lot of people were kind of upset with it. They gave him a terrible villain. Uh, then I was like, it wasn't a good movie. It wasn't. Let's not, we're not going to kid ourselves. But I loved it. I loved it as a kid. And then when I came back to it as an adult and realized that this film that I had begged my parents to tape, and they have since taped, they had since taped over, because it's back when we had VHSs. It's ancient. Uh, it was the same show. Like, so technically, my first doctor was number eight, but I came back into the show with Eccleson's as number nine. So it's very interesting. So if you get the chance, you should check out Doctor Who, especially if you like sci-fi stuff. If you like good, it's campy. It's campy, silly. Sometimes it can get super dark, but it's, an, it's a nice, easy watch. It's not anything too layered or Games of Thrones-ish where you need to know a lot of detail. So you should definitely check it out if you get the chance. Um, after that is the Almighty Johnsons. Almighty Johnsons is a spin on 
is it Nordic? I want to say Nordic. Lore? Basically, they're talking about Thor and Odin and that whole world. That whole, uh, what is the word? I can't think of it. That whole mythology. There we go. I got it. Mm, that whole mythology. But in like everyday terms. So in this world, the Almighty Johnsons is a series out of New Zealand. You have people who are the human incarnations of these gods. So after they reach a certain age, usually it's like adolescence, or should I say late adolescence. It's like late teens, early 20s. For some, it's like their 21st birthday, sometimes a little earlier, sometimes a little bit later. They take on the essence of this god. And it, they're all of the Norse mythology. So it's, like I said, Odin's, Thor's, Loki's, and the like. You get all of them. They cover it in a larger basis. You'll hear about minor gods too. And it's just the adventures of them trying to figure out how to navigate this life with this huge secret. But also uh, there's like another side story in that they need to figure out how to get, uh, I guess what they call like the main gods together. So Odin and his wife, they need them to get together because apparently the reason that they have to deal with this reincarnation of gods in their human form, because they've been dealing with it for generations, is because of a separation that happened way, way back when. So the ultimate goal is to get the king and queen of these gods together so that they will elevate into their highest forms, their, their highest power. The story revolves around this brother group called the Johnsons who are messes, that's my favorite thing. These guys are imperfect. They, some of them selfishly use the abilities that come with this incarnation for their own purposes and gains. Some of them hate what they've got because it's wrecking their personal lives entirely. And it's just, it's just a really fun watch. This is also on Netflix. So you can stream it on Netflix or you can watch it on Amazon. Amazon also has a lot of things. And it's just, it's a few, I wanna say it's like four seasons four or five seasons, they are fast watches. They're really fast watches. One of my favorite things about this particular series is that they also involve Polynesian lore because it's based in New Zealand. New Zealand used to be Aotearoa. That's Maori, if you guys didn't know. And they include some Maori culture into it. So you have uh, Polynesian gods show up in it. And it's, a, it's, just, it's just so awesome talking about that inclusion and that diversity this is one of the shows where you don't expect to see it at all because we're talking about norse mythology and then it's there and you're just like okay okay cool all right i'll check out the rest of this so almighty johnson's and then i've got gravity falls gravity falls is another animated series this was on disney xd i don't know if that's even still a channel it might be i don't know it was a, a fantastic show so this show basically gave me a lot of 80s feels a lot of 80s feels, and it was based around the 80s, so that would be why. It was hilarious and silly, but it also gave you this amazing lore attached to it. And I don't want to give any spoilers if you haven't checked it out, but it was a series that you could watch as a grown adult and still get a lot from it. It was, it was wonderful, and it had its own little side mysteries for you to like figure out and be interactive with. It was so good, so good. It finished up actually, so there's no more new seasons of it coming out. But again, you can stream this, I wanna say on Hulu, definitely on Amazon, as I own all the series on Amazon. Easy watch again, really, really interactive 
really fun to watch. If you love 80s campiness, like Goonies, like Spielbergian type things, this is right up your alley to check out. And then the last thing I want to talk about is a game that I had mentioned about, no, talked about earlier. And it's a computer game. Uh, you might have heard of it called Five Nights at Freddy's. So it, this is a game that I'm more a fan of the lore than the actual gameplay of. I hate this as a game. Like it's super, it just freaks, it freaks me out. The, the game scares that come with this, which is a lot, freak me out every single time. And this is a game you can play on your computer, on your tablet, on your phone. It's become massively huge, ridiculously huge. And this started out as an independent game. The lore around this is what's intriguing to me. Like the storylines around it, it's just become like this, the lore itself has become huger than the game itself to the point that the creator of the game has created a book series that's actually successful right now. He's on like his third one. Uh, talking about the lore of this and he got greenlit for a film. There's going to be a major motion picture based on this game that's coming out at some point. It's it just it's really cool. It's just the lore around it is really cool. So most of the stuff I love about Five Nights at Freddy's is everybody's dissection of what each thing means out of this game. There is a YouTube series I follow called Game Theory. They just put out the latest uh theories on the latest gameplay for this and how it's going to relate to everything and the stories. It's just, again, it gives me 80s feels. It very much gives you like, if you know these films, like People Under the Scare, Under the Scares, Under the Stairs, <laughs> People Under the Stairs, or like any kind of Freddy Cougar-esque type game, like that kind of like mystical fantasy element to it, but like real world consequences. And the fact that we're dealing with the murder of children. This is this is a game that is focused on characters that are clearly based on Chuck E. Cheese. You're dealing with animatronics for children who inevitably become this bigger than life monster that you're dealing with all the time. And the lore around it is just incredible. It's amazing. So if you get the chance to check out Five Nights at Freddy's, even if it's like me, where you're not necessarily playing it and you're just checking out the lore, I highly recommend it. I love game theories, piecing of everything. There's tons of people, Daco, a bunch of other gamers who also go into this. There's a bunch of Let's Plays if you just wanna see how people play the game. But the lore around it is what got me about Five Nights at Freddy's. I'm very excited to see the other mediums that it's going to spread to. Like this movie that's supposed to come out, I'm very interested to see how they're gonna piece this together. I own two of the books. I don't own the third one yet. I'm not gonna lie. The books are a hard read. They, they, they are they are a hard read. But I also have to remember that the books aren't. They're not made for adults. They're they're made for children. They're made for kids. The writing around it is not the strongest, but it's enough to give you an idea around the lore, and I quite enjoy it. It's it's just a fun way to spend your time. If you wanna get lost in something for a little bit, it's, this is one of those things, especially if you like things on the little of the darker edge, like I do, this is, this is, it's a fun thing. It's a fun thing to check out. And that's gonna wrap it up. So that's gonna wrap it up for this geek-tastic episode of People of Culture here. As always, as you know, my name is Joe, AKA the Curvy Geeky Fangirl. And you can find me at the Curvy Geeky Fangirl everywhere. CurvyGeekyFangirl.com 
That's my Twitter handle, my Instagram handle. Do the search, it'll come right the heck up. I It's all over the place. Uh, you can also check out Shay. She's under Shay Cherie Show everywhere. She's definitely more interactive on Instagram and her Twitter. Uh, you can also find us as the People of Culture Podcast everywhere. It were noted as the POC Podcast everywhere. Instagram, Twitter, our website, the like. Anywhere you hear this, uh, what, whatever podcast directory you are listening to this on, please rate and subscribe. Let us know what you think about these episodes. Shay will be back next week. I will be taking off so that I can enjoy some quality time with the hubby. I'll be celebrating my own anniversary. Oh, I have been married a very long time. Holy cow. Oh, yeah. So, yeah, that'll be happening. Um, and hopefully she'll be sharing some fun stuff about her trip from Carabana in the next episode. And then after that, we'll get back into our regular schedule with the two of us touching on important topics as we were doing. So I hope you enjoyed this geeky, 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 cornered episode that we had here. And uh, I hope you guys have a really good week. Bye.